Alright guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 60. Man, we're still in the major prophets. Ezekiel 16 and 17. Kevin, every time I say though two chapters or three chapters, I'm pretty sure we don't ever get to any of them except part of one. And so here we are, we've been plowing through. Literally yesterday we got to (laughs) Ezekiel 14, uh, but we never even got to Ezekiel 15. Now granted, Ezekiel 15 is only eight verses, but it talks about this this parable. If you guys go to your Bibles and you always look at your little titles up above, mine says the parable of the useless vine. And so remember, constantly, uh, it's kind of like you have to picture Ezekiel as this funnel and God just keeps downloading visions upon visions upon visions. I mean, it's over and over and over. And then Kevin, what's he expected to do with these visions? Walk them out. Walk them out. He's supposed to dramatize them. Sometimes he's out dropping off bags into exile and drilling holes into his uh, into his house. And then there's other times. I mean, he he's laying on his side for 390 days. Another time he's laying, you know, on his on his other side for 40 days. What was that, Kevin? It was 590 days, wasn't it? <clears throat> no, it's 390. So what do you have? Ezekiel laying on his side. He's laying on his side. And memory's drawing. <laughs> memory's playing Legos. <laughs> Remember, he's like crashing up Jerusalem to show and give it his image. So he's constantly acting out. Well, in Ezekiel 15, here you have this parable of the useless vine. And he's describing, he gets a word from the Lord again. And it's, this vine is a symbol of the nation of, of Israel. And so that's what you have. Again, that's not really an encouragement. But again, he's saying, look, the nation of Israel, you guys, has completely turned away from the Lord. What good are you if you're at this point? Now, when we get to Ezekiel 16, it is... <clears throat> the longest chapter in all of Ezekiel. Okay, it's 60, Tom, 63 verses. Now, why do I say Tom's name? Because Tom and I, whenever we go through this, we pray through this, we talk through this. Do I teach on Ezekiel 16 or do I teach on Ezekiel 17? Now, if you go to 17, I, look, I, you might not even care, but I'm just going to talk through this. When I see there's 24 verses on Ezekiel 17, I'm like, sign me up. But I couldn't. Every time I studied this and every time I looked at this, God's like, you go to 16. And I was like, God, it's 63 verses. But isn't that kind of what we do with the word of God? Look, that, that's us. It's kind of like, how can I take a little bit of the shortcut to get through this? Like maybe, maybe, maybe none of you do that. OK, but the reality is, is when I'm reading the word of God, sometimes when you're on a quote unquote idle schedule. <laughs> right, Kevin, we talked about this when we come to the table as elders before Ezekiel, we want a word from the Lord, but we really don't want a word from the Lord. We kind of shortchange whatever we can to get to the point. And God said, I want you to focus on Ezekiel 16 because here's the deal. Ezekiel 16 is another picture. The Lord downloads a picture to Ezekiel. And the picture is really a simple phrase. Warren Wiersbe describes it as this. Uh, Israel is an unfaithful wife. In 63 verses, all he does is hammer in this point. And what you're going to see in the first seven verses, okay, and I love what Wearsby says, is that Israel got to experience a great love. You got to understand the process of an unfaithful wife. Yet, Kevin, to be an unfaithful wife, you're first, though, you're a wife, right? So we're going to walk through, strangely enough, normally when you talk about the gospel, you talk about the bad news first, right? And then you get to the good news. What you're going to see in Ezekiel is the good news and then how it becomes 
bad news. Okay, so it's a little bit flipped. Just think good news first, then it's going to go to the bad news. So in the first seven verses, what does experience, Israel experience? They experience really just what's called great love. Watch this, and we'll see how far we get through 63 verses. I know some guys have some bets here, 22 verses or, you know, 63, all right? The word of the Lord came to me again. This is Ezekiel speaking, okay? And again, if we go to the timeline, Ezekiel, for those that are just jumping in again, Revive School, maybe turn on the radio for the very first time. Ezekiel is literally, in his context, okay, Isaiah prophesied about the Babylonian captivity. He talked about the Assyrian captivity. Then you have Jeremiah. He prophesies about the Babylonian captivity. And Kevin, does he get to experience some of it? Yes. Just a little bit enough that he probably writes lamentations because he's lamenting over the fact that he saw something. But Ezekiel, he's like in the heart of it. Okay, Ezekiel is literally in the heart of of what he's seeing. And so as he's talking to his exiles on the Chabar Canal, like this is the reality of why we are here. And so what you're going to see, it says the word of the Lord came to me again. In verse two, it says, son of man, explain Jerusalem's detestable practices to her. (laughs) I'd be like. Dude, I'm living among them. You want me to keep telling them they keep messing up? Yes. And so he says in verse three, you are to say this. This is what the Lord God says to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. In other words, this is really interesting. You know, whenever the Jewish people refer to Gentiles sometimes in the scriptures, they're known as the dogs. I want to remind you something. You came from, quote unquote, the dogs. Like you came from the Amorites, you came from the Hittites. Like this is the reality. And yet when you look in verse four and five, you have to be viewed, you have to view Israel as an an abandoned child. So here you have the quote unquote Amorites and Hittites. It says, as for your birth, your umbilical cord wasn't even cut on the day you were born. You weren't washed clean with water. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes, cloths, excuse me. And then in verse five, it says, no one cared enough about you to do even one of these things out of compassion for you. In other words, it'd be like having a baby born in a hospital and then the baby just laid there. Nobody did anything, nothing. In fact, the umbilical cord is still there. You're starting to see blood. You're starting to see other things you shouldn't see. All of these things, nobody even cared about the baby. No swaddling, no warm blankets, nothing. It says, but you were thrown out into the open field because you were despised on the day you were born. In fact, we just said, see ya. We don't, we don't want you. That's the mentality of Israel when they were born. But now it says this in verse six, I passed by, this is God. I passed by and I saw you lying in your blood, the little baby. And I said to you, as you lay in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, as you lay in your blood, live. And so here you have this this practical period of a birthing taking place. Now, here's what I want you to understand. What you're going to see in this is a lot of theologians, a lot of commentaries will describe these periods of time. Some would even say this is an image. Okay, just hear me out on this of the patriarchal period beginning. Okay, so this is the when he said, I saw you in your blood, and then he says, I want you to live. It was at that moment there was a covenant established. Does that make sense? So he says to Abraham, you are my people. Like this is that mentality. And this is what you're going to see is it's going to go through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's a picture of a great love being established. In verse 7, he says, I made you thrive. Like plants of the field, you grew up and matured and you came, you became very beautiful. In other words, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob's st- period was, Kevin, there's lots of growth that was taking place. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were stark naked. In other words, this is kind of interesting. When you see that word, I made you thrive, you have to think of it like this. Uh, it probably refers to the period of time for 490 years. Kevin, they were back before they were back in, in uh, Egypt. 
And during that period of time, what happened? Lots of lots and lots of growth, even of the people of this flourishing uh, Israelites. And so here you have it. Verse seven. Yes, it looks kind of weird that they are in Egypt. But the reality is, is that they're growing. And so as you keep going into verse eight. Here's what happens. You're going to see in verses 8 through 14, now it's gone from great love of, of a child, right? To now all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know how we want to, how we want to list this. It's then going to evolve into a marriage. Okay. A little bit of weird imagery here, how you went up and adopted a child, but now you're marrying, but I just go along with this here. It says, and I passed by you. Okay. I'm in verse 8. This is the same language I saw you. And you're indeed at the age for love. So I spread the edge of my garment over you and I covered your nakedness. And he says, I pledge myself to you, entered into a covenant with you and you became mine. This is a declaration of the Lord. So here you have this child growing up. Now it says they fall in love. And the next thing you know, what do you have? You have a marriage covenant. And that marriage covenant is, there's no other way around this, you guys. This is with God and his people. I'm just going to make it real clear. In this context, he's not talking about the church. He's not talking about the body of Christ. Kevin, who's he talking about? The Israelites. He's talking about the Israelites. Uh, our foreign affairs expert, would you agree? I would agree. Okay, good. All right, so this is the picture that you have. Okay, you have a marriage covenant in place. In verse 9, look at this imagery. I washed you with water, rinsed off your blood, anointed you with oil. Verse 10, I clothed your, you in embroidered cloth and provided you with leather sandals. I also wrapped you in fine linen. I covered you with silk. Scripture says in verse 11, and watch this, this is what's cool. In a marriage, okay, when I think about Laura and I, you know, we've been married for going on uh, 18 years, okay? So to some eyes, we're still rookies, but to some some other folks, we're, you know, I feel a little bit more seasoned. And in this process, when I first got married to Laura on October 20th, uh, 2001, here's what I love about this, is like, I wanted to do everything I could for her. I mean, granted, I had a USA Today job. And I lived off of quarters and I delivered dry cleaning. So it wasn't like money was flowing. <laughs> but whenever I could buy her a Green River at the mall, <laughs> I would. Like whatever it is, you know, like Max, you with Tina, I'm sure you wanted to dote on her in any way that you could. Always, yeah. That's a good answer, by the way. I think this is the mentality is that when that marriage is first established, like you're just in love. You want to do whatever you can. And that's what you're going to see. These gifts are actually customary. Like what Mar- MacArthur says, John MacArthur says, for a queen. Like I adorned you with jewelry, putting bracelets on your wrist, chain around your neck. Verse 12, he says, I put a ring in your nose. Hmm, that didn't happen. Uh, earrings on. Did, did Tina have a nose ring? Never had a nose ring. <laughs> I asked her if she wanted one. <laughs> earrings on your ears and then a beautiful tiara on on your head so like literally god views israel his chosen child now becoming married i know that, that's not meant to sound weird now is the queen like i love you i'm giving you everything that everything that i can i'm, I'm blessing you with i mean he even goes to the point in verse 13 so you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was made of fine linen silk and embroidered cloth you ate fine flour Honey and oil, you became extremely beautiful and attained royalty. Now, hang on. Now, Kevin, up to this point, we've talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now you can begin to walk into this time frame of Joshua's conquest into, into Canaan. You can think about this. Everything, they're, they're beginning to actually experience, Kevin, the milk, the honey, the land that's flowing. And then it even, oh, even goes into even the Davidic, uh, the Davidic reign in the second Samuel 7. So you can see this progression of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's so crazy. You start talking about the, the Pentateuch. And then you get into the historical books. Like, this is what we're talking about. And now we're in the major prophets. But when you go back to what we've done in Revive School, it all begins to actually make sense. So he's here. He says, I'm blessing my own people abundantly. 
But that's where the problem began. The problem then began in verse 14 because God poured out his abundance and his favor. Look what happens in verse 14. Your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty. For it is perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Well, here's the deal. God wanted their fame to spread, correct? Verse 14, like this is what he wanted to happen. He wanted them to become a light to what? All of the nations. So like this is actually a good thing. (laughs) Everything that's happened up to this point, this is a good thing. But here's the problem. Here's the switch in verse 15. This fame that came from the Lord switched, but you were confident in your beauty and acted like a prostitute because of your fame. He was like all these blessings, all this abundance that came from God and he had chosen his people. They then flipped it on him and then they became a prostitute because of your fame. You lavished your sexual favors on everybody who passed by. Your beauty became his. You know, I I did a little bit of a study about kind of what this looks like. But the reality is, is like, look, uh, when when you think of a prostitute, I'm not going to go into all these details. okay? but think about it this way. A guy will probably pay a prostitute for money. okay? don't get me wrong on all these. Don't go all weird on me. So he pays money for a prostitute. Now, here's what's crazy is, is that Israel is the prostitute, right? This is the mentality. And then they're giving sexual favors on behalf. Like, it's like they're going beyond even what prostitution is. It's like they're going everything they can. And like, all of a sudden, your beauty became his. Because the reality is when prostitution takes place, you partake in that person. You become one. And Kevin, this whole point of, uh, if really in Ezekiel has been everybody, all of these 10,000 exiles in the Jewish, in the Chabar Canal is idolatry. They're giving over to these idols. And here's the crazy thing is they are so confident in themselves. They forgot that God was the one who loved them, who plucked them from the field, who took care of the blood and all of the uncleanliness. And what happens? He establishes a covenant with them. And because of God's abundance and prosperity and blessing, they turn against God and then they begin to have, quote unquote, sexual relations with all of these other idols. And they're so confident in their own fame because it was all about themselves. It's kind of like these these elders that sit before Ezekiel in his house and they play a good game and they act like none of this ever happened. But the reality is it's, it's always happening. You go into verse 16 and he continues to describe this. This prostitutional mindset with other idol, uh, with other idols that you took some of your garments and made colorful high places for yourself and you engaged in prostitution on them. These places should not have even been built and this should never have happened. Kevin, you think of high places, don't you, that all these kings started to build. Verse 17 and on, you also took your beautiful jewelry made from gold and silver I'd given you and you made male images so that you could engage in prostitution with them. Then you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. You also set before them as a pleasing aroma the food I gave you, the fine flour, oil and honey that I fed you. This is what happened. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I can't get over the fact that God overwhelmed his own people with an abundance and prosperity and they turned against God. They forgot that God was the one that blessed them. And I have to just say, if you want to apply any of these principles to the church, do we not do that? It's like God gives us everything we need, the food, the house, the trucks, the cars, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, in our comfortability, we kind of just we kind of just forget that God got us to this point. It's nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. I mean, we're only in. You might be right, guys. We might not make it to 63. (laughs) But in verse 20, let's keep going. Verse 20 says, you even took your sons and daughters you bore to me. 
I think that's interesting. You realize that this is from God, but then you turned around and you sacrificed them to these images as food. Wasn't your prostitution enough, but now you took it one step farther. I, I just want to say this, like in verse 21, then I'll come there with this. You slaughtered my children and you gave up them when you passed them through the fire to the images. Look, when we function in our own idolatry, I, I'll just tell you, it impacts our kids. When you function in our own junk and our own sin, I don't care what you call it. It radically impacts our kids. And then we think, oh, oh yeah, but we don't even really think about it. Our sin impacts other generations. Man, if you're on a borderline question right now on whether or not you should stick with your wife, can I just tell you, for the sake of your kids, yes. These decisions greatly impact our children. And so when you see this, what this looks like, it says in verse 22, in all your, Kevin, if you go to verse 22, in all your abominations and acts of prostitution, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were stark naked and lying in your bed, in your blood. You know what that means? You forgot. You forgot how much in love we were. You forgot that I'm the one that saved your rear and now all of a sudden you're acting like you completely forgot me. Ezekiel continues to get the word from the Lord in verse 23. Then after all your evil, woe, woe, woe to you, the declaration of the Lord God. In other words, I will bring upon destruction because of you brought this on yourself. Uh, God is a God of love. Yeah, but God is also a God of judgment and wrath. I understand Jesus Christ came to die for us. Then we need to act like he did. We need to live like he did. Verse 24, it says, You built yourself a mound and made yourself an elevated place in every square. You built your elevated place at the head of every street. And you turned your beauty into a detestable thing. You turned your beauty, you guys, <clears throat> into an abomination. You spread your legs to everyone who passed by and increased your po- prostitution. I, I don't know how more graphic you can get. You've completely taken the beauty that God has given you and you've turned it over to the enemy. And then in 26, 27, 28, and 29, you begin to see the historical progression that Ezekiel releases to them. Oh, look, you engage in promiscuous acts with the Egyptians. Right? You're well, you're well endowed neighbors. And then he says in verse 27, oh, but look at this. I gave you over to the desire of those who hate you, the Philistine women. So you even turn it over to the Philistine women. But here's what's crazy. Even the Philistines were appalled. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed by your indecent behavior. So pagan women were appalled at how gross and detest, uh, you know, grotesque you're actually acting. Goes on to verse 28. Here you have the Assyrians. You've engaged in prostitution with the Assyrians. And then in 29, you extended your prostitution to the Chaldeans, the Chaldea. The Babylonians, the Babylonians, how your heart was inflamed with lust, verse after verse after verse after verse. When you did all these things, the act of a brazen prostitute, building your mound at the head of every street and making your elevated place in every square. But you were unlike a prostitute because you scorned payment. You adulterous wife who received strangers instead of her husband. Gavin, in this text with the covenant, who's the husband? Lord. Yeah, the Lord. He continues on. He says, men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave gifts to all your lovers. There's that image again. You bribed them to come to you. Not only were they even not even coming to you, but you tried to get them to come to you from all around for your sexual favors. So you were the opposite of other women in your acts of prostitution. No one solicited you when you paid a fee instead of one being paid to you. You were the opposite. You were the one paying people to come to you. This is how drastic Israel has turned away from the Lord. This is why they're sitting at the, at the canal, 10,000 exiles, and they don't even know, they won't even believe this, right? Remember, they're like, Ezekiel, enough of the visions, please. 
Jerusalem's not going to be destroyed. Well, in a little bit, they're going to find out in Ezekiel in the 20s, they're going to find out, oh, yeah, it actually is going to be completely destroyed. They're paying people to come to them because they don't want to buy into this truth of Ezekiel's word. All because they wanted to, to find fame themselves and not for the Lord. So what you see in verses 35 through 42, I understand this is a lot. We're flying through this, but I want to paint a picture. This is truly a progression of taking Israel as, as, a, as, a, as an individual, as a life. It went from an abandoned child that came from the Amorites and the Hittites. Yes, literally, Scripture says, God found them lying in blood, and then God, what does he do? God cleans them up, and he says, oh man, as this child grows up, he says, now I'm going to marry, I'm going to have a covenant with this, with this wife. I'm going to pour out my blessing onto her. I'm going to give her everything that she needs and then some. And because of my blessing that God has poured out, what happens? She clearly turns against the Lord and she begins to do her own thing. She begins to open up herself to the idols, the other nations, the other foreigners. And at this point, it's become so bad that the marriage and the covenant has now led to prostitution. Or you could just say adultery. Adultery. And so what you're going to see in verses 35 through 42 is you will see great discipline. And what's crazy about all of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, that's, that's all you hear about is discipline is coming, discipline is coming, discipline is coming. And nobody wants to hear that. But in verse 35, it says, therefore, you prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says, because your lust was poured out in your nakedness, exposed by your acts of prostitution with your lovers, and because of all your detestable idols and the blood of your children that you gave to them. Verse 37, and here, here it is. Okay, so uh, it's almost like the announcing uh, of the crimes, but now what you're going to see is, is, let me go to verse 37 here for a second. I, therefore, am going to gather all the lovers you pleased. <laughs> Can you imagine God, like just today, God says, hey, I'm going to put all of your idols in front of you. And that's what he says I'm going to do with Israel. I'm going to gather all the lovers you please, all those you loved as well as all those you hated. I'll gather them against you from all around and expose your nakedness, Israel, to them so that they can see you completely naked. Verse 38, and then he says, okay, now here comes the judgment. I'll judge you the way the adulteresses and those who shed blood are judged. Then I will bring about your bloodshed in wrath and jealousy. Can you imagine God going to say, I'm going to put all of your sins in front of you. Man, verse 39 says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hand them over. I'm going to hand you over to them. And they'll level your mounds and tear down your elevated places. They'll strip you off your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry and leave you stark naked. I don't know why the prophets, why the prophets always have to talk about people being naked. I think it's because one, it catches our attention. Yeah. But that's all we have. You're laid bare open. Like you can't hide anything because Judah has become a prostitute. And so here's what he says. I will satisfy my wrath against you and my jealousy will turn away from you. And then I will be silent and no longer angry. So because of 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar comes and wipes out uh, literally Jerusalem. God says, okay, now I'm, I'm good. But if I'm in exile, yeah, right. What is he talking about? It just started with a little baby. It started with an unbelievable, beautiful marriage. And somewhere down the road, they took their eyes off of God. 
And God says, when you take your eyes off of me, you will experience my judgment. You will experience my wrath. And he says then in verse 43, he defends you guys. Why? He defends why he's going to do this. Like people have an hard time. God wouldn't do this. This is why. He says, because you didn't remember the days of your youth. But he enraged me with all of these things. I will also bring your actions down on your own head. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Haven't you committed immoral acts in addition to all of your abominations? So like, by the way, that's one reason why I'm going to do this. Here's another one. Look, everyone who uses Proverbs will say this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter. Well, verse 45, he says, well, you are the daughter of your mother who despised her husband and children. You're the sister of your sisters who despised their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Your older sister was Samaria. And then what you're going to see in 46 through 59, because of time, you're going to see a comparison, you guys. Judah is compared to Samaria and uh, Sodom. Kevin, could you think that those are great comparisons? Mm, Not really. God literally lists the the sins of Sodom in verses 48 through 50. He lists the sins of Samaria in all of this process as well in 51 and on. But here's what I love. And you got it. You got it in in this way. He says in verse 53, he says, but I will restore. I will restore their fortunes, the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters and those of Samaria and her daughters. I will also restore your fortunes among among them, a great restoration is going to come. Praise the Lord. So you have great discipline. And I can't end this without saying, but he always promises this, Kevin. He always promises this. God is an incredible God, but I'm going to promise restoration. He says in verse 44, so you will bear disgrace and be ashamed of all you did when you comforted them. Now, hang on here. He says, as you for your sisters. OK, he keeps going. Sodom and her daughters and Samaria and her daughters will return to their former state. You and your daughters will also return to your former state. Then he begins to get into some of these things. But here it is in verse 60. Okay, the restoration comes really in verse 60. He says, but I will remember the covenant. I made with you in the days of what? In the days of your youth. God hasn't forgotten. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Can I just tell you this everlasting covenant? Yes, it actually means the eternal covenant. Kevin, this is the Jeremiah 31 text. This is literally the everlasting covenant that's unconditional, saving and eternal. And this everlasting covenant, just so you know, now here's here's the crazy thing, is that they're probably thinking it's when we're out of exile. They're probably thinking, oh, it's when Jerusalem is maybe restored. Man, this covenant is only happens on the return of Christ. Okay, this happens. Well, you could even say, and many people would, on his first coming. You could say, well, it's when Christ came and opened it to you. But the reality is, is that we know that this everlasting covenant truly is established because the Jewish people denied him the first time. It's established, you guys, when he comes back. And if you put your trust in Christ, when you put your trust in in Christ on the cross, you don't ever have to worry about God's judgment or wrath ever again. How do I know? How do I know this is true? He says in verse 61, then you will remember your ways. Be ashamed when you remember your older and your sisters and your younger sisters. I'll give them to you as daughters, not because but not because of your covenant. Look at this. I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. And this is kind of like the home run verse. So that when I make atonement for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth again because of your disgrace. This is the declaration of the Lord God. The the atonement, you guys, has nothing to do with our merit or their merit. The atonement has everything to do with what Christ did literally 
on the cross. It's a really cool picture of an eternal covenant that's being established at the end of Ezekiel 16, from 60 to 63. The answer, honestly, you guys, to God's just wrath, it's what he did on the cross. There's a famous verse, everybody knows it, but Kevin, if you would, can you just go there? John 3, 16. I love this picture. It says, For God so loved the world, what? He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. This everlasting covenant, this eternal covenant, is established through what Christ did on the cross. Jew or Gentile will be offered this eternal life. There's a lot there. It's a long story for uh, the country of Israel, the people of Israel. But praise God, there's still hope. They can always look to Yeshua. All right, guys, have a great day, and we'll continue our conversation tomorrow.